Once again, thank you for uh, coming out on an icy day. I'm going to do a couple of bulletin reminders. Uh, one, our next men and women's study breakfast. We pushed them back to February, so we will not have those until men on February 12th, ladies on February 15th. And we'll give you more information as those dates get closer. This coming Wednesday, looking at Exodus chapters 3 and 4, standing on holy ground. We have a new issue of Calvary Magazine. Forgot to, we had it last week too. I uh, forgot to mention it last week, but it's in the foyer on the wall or on the back table here in the sanctuary. But Calvary Magazine and just a way to stay connected with the Calvary Chapel churches. We did have a couple of major events happen. Uh, Pastor Ray Bentley of Maranatha Christian Fellowship in San Diego died suddenly, I believe on Tuesday, of a heart attack. And uh, only a f three years older than me, I think, kind of my age, but unexpected. And pray for their fellowship. Pastor Mike McIntosh, we asked prayer for him. He had heart surgery. It was scheduled and pushed back. And then they were able to do it on Thursday. And it's hard to get information now. My source was Mike, and he just had a quadruple bypass. And so he's not talking to me right now. I don't know why. Um, but he did thank Lily and I and our fellowship for praying. He said it meant so much to have people all around the world praying for him. I asked a friend out on the West Coast if he had heard anything. And last night he said um, hadn't heard too much, but the surgery was successful and he is currently recovering in ICU. So that's about all we know. Uh, keep that in your prayers. And that's kind of, uh, you know, some of the champions of the Calvary Chapel movement uh, going through these difficult times in their lives. And we know we all go through challenges. And so to see how these men and their churches deal with these things. Yesterday, my wife and I watched one of those champions and his uh, life celebration service as he went to be with the Lord on December 24th. And they had the service yesterday over in Hawaii and our family part of that service, part of that church. And so just uh, someone who lived for the Lord, and it was such a blessing to see, so much so their family, even though Pastor Bob passed away on December 24th, they did not want to ruin anybody's Christmas by letting others know that it had happened. And so the family said, well, we'll let them know. I mean, they shared a few we knew, shared with a few people that he had went to be with the Lord, but they said, we'll make it public after Christmas. Just to live as we will see. And there's a line that really caught my attention in our passage today that came from Mary. I believe it's how we are to live our lives, to let the will of the Lord be done in our lives. And it's something that Mary stated. And I think it's something that we all need to kind of memorize that line. I thought about that this morning. This is something that every person in the church should memorize. We'll get to that passage in a moment. If you do have, if you want to be with the prayer updates or church announcements, I should have put it both ways, and you're not on the email list, please give us your information. I actually added an email line on the connection card, and we may be connected with you by phone and address. But we may not have your email, and if you haven't been getting emails from the church and you would like to receive those, please give that information and put it in the copy box, and we'll make sure you're on that list. I think that's good for now. Any other announcements you can read in the bulletin for yourself? I did want to mention that Pastor Mark Drennenberg is scheduled to be with us in two weeks, and he just published a new book that just came out last month, and so he'll be sharing that book with us, also sharing about the book when he's with us for two weeks from now. And so he is a friend of our church, attended here for three years, I believe, he and Nancy for a season. And so we will welcome Mark in two weeks and look forward to that. We had him last year and he always did worship for us. And uh, he's a preacher and I knew that although he can sing 
and he can lead in worship, we need to have him in the pulpit as well. So we'll do that in two weeks. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pray for our offertory. For those who are here with us, of course, we have the agape box in the back. Many people give online now or maybe mail as we do. Lily and I, our bank just processed the check every week for us to come to the church. And it's a little hands off, but it's set up that way. And I just want to be thankful for the gifts that we have received Uh, over the last couple of years. God has really blessed this small church. And so thank you, Lord, for the gifts given to this place. Lord, you have allowed us to do ministry and to, in the last three years, Lord, we were able to invest well over $100,000 into our buildings, grounds, and that continued last year, Lord, with purchasing of a video camera system and other things that we were able to accomplish because of the blessing of your people Uh, giving to this church. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless the gifts that are given here, that we would use them for your glory, for your kingdom. And I pray, Father, that you would be with us now as we look into your word, as we continue this journey through the gospels. I pray, Lord, that as we journey through the gospels this year, that you would just bless us abundantly, that we would learn more of the life of Jesus Or maybe for some of us, Lord, everything that will be taught will not be new to us, but Lord, to remind us of these things. I believe it's so important as well. To remind us, Lord, of how we should live in the days that we find ourselves in, how we should live our faith before others, as we will learn today in our text. We pray that you would teach us now by the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last week, we began a chronological journey through the Gospels. And I had a couple of emails, people kind of asking, what in the world are you doing? Uh, We've never seen it done like this before. And it's like, well, that's me. I'll do things different (laughs) if I have to. But I've taught through the Gospels twice while I've been here, at least two times every Gospel here at this church And so for me to teach through them again would be simple. But I was asking, and I I shared with you back in November, I'm not quite sure the direction the Lord would have me to go. And so I opened it up to the fellowship. What suggestions would you have? And we had other books of the Bible mentioned, uh, topical messages mentioned, and we're going to do topical studies. We'll interrupt this as the Lord leads me. But as the responses came in, the number one response was, let's go through a gospel. And my head is thinking, we've done that before. In fact, I went through the gospel of Matthew uh, 20 and 21. So I just finished one of the gospels on Wednesday evening, but not on a Sunday morning. But as I thought about that and thought about the gospels being I've recently done at our church or maybe on a Sunday morning, it's been a few years. The thought came, what if I tried to put the four Gospels in chronological order? And that simply means from the beginning of Jesus's life until his ascension into heaven, we're going to take all four Gospels and kind of put them, mesh them together as the storyline flows. Today, the storyline solely has us in the Gospel of Luke. And we're only going to look at the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, picking up in verse 5, because that's how the storyline goes. Next week, we'll be looking at Luke and Matthew, and we'll kind of mesh them together again. But today, as we pick up, we're going to see two angelic birth announcements. That's the title that I gave this. And I broke it into four sections. The four sections, all found in Luke chapter 1, In verses 5 through 25, we are introduced to the forerunner. Verses 26 through 38, the Christ child. Mary visits Elizabeth in verses 39 through 45. And the Minificat, verses 46 through 56. And so I want to go ahead and I'm going to read our first section 
of our first points, and that's verses 5 through 7, and we'll get into the teaching of God's Word. And so we pick up in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abagi. His wife, the daughter of Aaron, her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And so we begin learning about a couple, both from the tribe of Levi, both from the priestly line. And so this just lets us know, because they would be the parents of John the Baptist, that John the Baptist was of the tribe of Levi. He should have been a priest if life would have worked out as normal since the days of Moses when he had given the law and the order of the priesthood through the tribe of Levi as God had commanded the children of Israel and as it had been since the time of Moses. But God had a different plan for John the Baptist. Though he was of the priestly line, God had a special job that he had for John the Baptist. And Luke, we also notice, Luke is very good about giving us clues as to the dating of the time of Christ. He tells us here in verse 5 that it was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. And so we know historically that Herod the Great, and that's who's being referred to here, Herod the Great ruled from 37 to 4 BC. He died sometime in 4 BC in the month of April or March. And so right around 4 BC. We talk about before Christ and after, after Christ, BC and AD, and that the whole, our whole calendar revolves around Jesus Christ. Well, they actually got the dating off just a little bit there, but that's no big deal. Herod the Great was still alive at this time, and he would be alive at the birth of Christ, as we learned during Christmas, and we'll learn again as we continue through our journey through the Gospels, but he helps us kind of give a time stamp to these dates. In chapter 3, he'll mention uh, Tiberius Caesar, he'll mention Pontius Pilate, Herod, one of the sons of Herod the Great, and his brother Philip, and Aeneas and Caiaphas. He'll, he'll mention other names. It helps us give a historical glimpse of the timeline of Christ, so it really helps us to date uh, lining up the Word of God with the historical knowledge that we have today. Just by looking at history, we get a timeline of the events of Christ. But Zacharias, his name meant God remembers. Elizabeth, her name meant his oath or God of the oath. And Zacharias and Elizabeth, as I said, they were of the tribe of Levi. They were of the priestly line. Although only the men were priests, what is more important then their heritage itself, their heritage allowed Zacharias to be in the holy place of the temple. And so it gave him access to the temple, as we'll learn as we continue to read. But what is more important in this passage is that they were both obedient to the Lord's command. They were both accounted blameless before God. Genesis 15:6 tells us about Father Abraham that he believed the Lord and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ can our hearts be established as blameless before the Lord today. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 3:13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before the our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints, that he is the one, God is the one, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is able to establish our hearts blameless before the Lord today. And even though Zacharias and Elizabeth were doing things right, they were of the priestly line, they were serving the Lord. Zacharias was, as we will read in a moment, going to serve at the temple even though they were blameless in the sight of God, they were without child. 
And to this, it was a dilemma. In their days, it was felt that it was a reproach that if a husband and wife could not bear a son to pass on their line. So the Bible also tells us to add to this dilemma of not being able to have a child, they were both well advanced in years. So the Greek word that's translated as well advanced, it, it not only means to be old, uh, quite advanced in age. One of the uh, Greek translators said that it meant to stoop over with age. So imagine a woman and a man getting older in years and their shoulders so all the weights of the world that we have on us and eventually we begin to stoop over we don't walk straight anymore this is kind of describing Zacharias and Elizabeth basically the scripture is saying they were beyond childbearing age but as I thought about this as with Sarah Rebecca Rachel Samson's mother, she's not named in scripture, so Samson's mother, Ruth, Hannah, and the Shunammite woman, God sometimes delays childbirth because of a greater work that he has in mind. Sometimes we pray for God to do something in our lives, and God doesn't necessarily say no, but he may say, wait, the time is not perfect yet. And so it was, verses, uh, verse 8, we pick up verses 8 through 10. It says, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of his priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord and the whole multitude of people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And so David, back in 1 Chronicles 24, verses 7 through 19, he set up in priestly order of the priests. They had a, the whole tribe of Levi served the temple. And from the tribe of Levi were the descendants of Aaron and his sons, and they served as priests. And David set up 24 divisions of the priests that they would serve at the temple. So they... You know, if it would kind of be like our church here, we could have 24 different pastors who would come and serve half a month out of the year. So two weeks out of the year, every two weeks you'd have a different preacher in the pulpit. And you'd have 24 different preachers who would come in and serve. And then the rest of the year you would, you know, serve maybe in the region of where you live, but also uh, take care of your crops and your living that you earned. But in First Chronicles 24, verse 19, it says, this was the schedule of their service for coming to the house of the Lord according to the ordinance of the hand of Aaron, their father, as the Lord God of Israel commanded him. And so this was a rarity. I mean, for the lot to fall upon Zacharias, that he would go into the holy place of the temple. It could have been for Zacharias a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So think about that. You've served as a priest. You've been in the temple area, the temple grounds. But the temple proper, the actual building itself, or the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the tent of meeting, as it was called, it was divided into two chambers. In the first chamber, it was known as the holy place. In that first chamber, we find that there was the altar of incense, the table of showbread and the menorah, and the priest would minister daily in the holy place. And then in the second chamber, divided by a, a very thick veil, was the holy of holy, where we find the Ark of the Covenants and the mercy seat, where the high priest was only allowed to enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. For Zacharias, he would never have opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies, but he did have opportunity to enter the holy place. And I just imagine that if it was the only time in his life that he had this opportunity, just think about how you would feel if it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, you are going to enter into the holy place, where in the very next room is the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. 
his family, his friends, other worshipers had gathered outside to pray for him as he went in at the hour of incense. As he entered in, verses 11 and 12, it tells us, the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Well, I have no problem understanding the fear that he might have. I remember as a young boy, the church that I attended with my family when I was growing up, this sanctuary was separate from the rest of the building. And so we had the sanctuary, and behind the sanctuary was this two-story building that had a fellowship hall in the uh, basement and classrooms down there and classrooms upstairs, the pastor's office. And, but the sanctuary was always separate. And I remember once as a child, my mom forgot her purse in the sanctuary, and she sent me on a Sunday evening to go get her purse. And by that time, the sanctuary was dark. I was a little boy. I felt as if I was walking into the presence of the Lord. I didn't run in. I cautiously walked in. God was in the sanctuary. At least that's what I felt as a young child. I've grown to understand that God is everywhere. But the temple is different. The temple held the Shekinah glory of God and Zacharias had this once in a lifetime opportunity that could only come to those who were of the tribe of Levi and only those from within the tribe of Levi who were descendants of Aaron could ever enter into this place. And as he entered in, the angel of the Lord appeared standing by the right side of the altar of incense and he was greatly afraid. And the angel, verses 13 and 14, said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, we've already learned that Zacharias and Elizabeth were well advanced in years. Personally, I believe that Zacharias and Elizabeth as a younger couple, probably prayed for years that the Lord would give them a child. But once they began to kind of stoop over in age, well advanced in years, personally, I believe they may have given up on the prayer. But God didn't cease to remember the prayer that had been already offered. God did not say no, but he had said wait. So I kind of, in my mind, play it out this way. The angel will learn his name is Gabriel. Gabriel said, Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. And Zacharias was thinking, what prayer? I don't know what you're talking about. Elizabeth, she is going to have a son. Really? That old lady? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and you will be filled with joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. The important thing is for us, even when we might give up on a prayer, it does not mean that our prayer has not been heard. And sometimes God calls us to wait because he has a greater plan for our lives. In verse 15, it says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so the forerunner of Jesus, John was to be a Nazarite. We learn about the Nazarites in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. I'll just tell you the three main things that regarded a Nazarite when you took a Nazarite vow. And sometimes it was for 30 days, for 90 days, for 120 days. Sometimes it was for life. And for John, it was to be for life. He was to be a Nazarite, the three main things. They were to have no wine or no fruit of the vine. No razor was to touch his hair. So we remember that with Samson. No razor was to touch his hair. And he was not to touch the dead. For someone who would take a 30, 90, or 120-day Nazarite vow, 
like Paul did. We read about him taking a Nazarite vow, I believe it was, in the book of Acts. If you came in contact with the dead, you had to offer sacrifices and start over again. And so it was very important. No wine, no fruit of the vine, no razor was to touch your hair. And the hair thing, once the vow was over, they would shave their hair. And when they offer sacrifices to the Lord, that hair would be offered with the sacrifice as a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. I don't know if burning hair is a sweet smelling aroma, but they offered the hair with the sacrifice. So there's something with this. But for John, it was to be lifelong. Can you imagine the dreads that he had there in the wilderness as he becomes there at 30 years old, beginning to preach the word with these long dreads, no doubt. Well, verses 16 and 17, it says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, speaking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So his calling before he was even conceived in the womb, God already set his calling. The angel gave a prophetic confirmation of the ministry of John that he would fulfill. He would go in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And there are several verses. I picked out a couple that talk about this in Malachi 3, 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. So half of that verse, most of the verse speaking about the coming of the Messiah, but the first half of that verse in Malachi 3, 1, speaking about the forerunner of Jesus Christ, described as my messenger, he will prepare the way before me. And what will he do? Again, Malachi 4, 5, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, Malachi 4, 6. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. God sent John in the spirit and the power of Elijah at Jesus' first coming, just like the Lord will send Elijah before the Lord's second coming. Jesus said so in Matthew 7, verses 11 through 13. They were asking about the last days and Jesus answered and said indeed Elijah is coming first and will restore all things Matthew 11, Matthew 17:12 he says but I say to you that Elijah has already come and you did not know him but did to him whatever they wished likewise the son of man is also about to suffer at his hands and then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Elijah indeed is coming, the Lord said. He is coming, but I tell you, he has already come. And when Jesus explained that to his disciples, they understood that he talked about John the Baptist. Verses 18 through 20, it says, And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man. My wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. I imagine that there was some force in the voice of Gabriel when he said this. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, who was sent to speak to you to bring you these glad tidings. Behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the days these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Gabriel, he's only mentioned by name four times in the Bible in Daniel chapter 8, verse 16, Daniel 9, 21, Luke 1, 21, and Luke 1, uh, 26. I had that wrong. Luke 1, um, 19, I had the wrong verse on that one in my notes. 
but Luke 1, 19, 126. I only mentioned four times by name in the Bible, but it tells us that he stands in the presence of the Lord. Every time he's mentioned in scripture, he's talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. And because of Zacharias's unbelief, he would remain mute until after the birth of his son. We'll learn of how his tongue is set loose next week in our study. So, in verses 21 and 22, the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. The people outside were thinking, man, he's taken a while. And when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And the people knew that he took longer than he should, and when he came out, he couldn't speak. And so what normally would happen, he would come out, he would lift his hands before the people and say, the Arianic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And perhaps when he came out, he lifted his hands and all he had was nothing coming out of his mouth. He could not give the blessing. His inability to bless or to talk to them only able to beckon them, they perceived rightly that he had seen a vision in the temple. Once his duties had been fulfilled, he went back home, verses 23 through 25. As soon as his days of service were completed, he departed to go to his house. And after those days, his wife conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Elizabeth saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days that he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. So again, the reproach was this perceived by the people. It was just perceived that a couple who could not have a child, that they were being punished by the Lord. It was wrong of them to perceive these things but it was a perceived reproach, but it had been taken away. Now there are actual reproaches against the Lord. Sin is a reproach against God, and it's only through Jesus Christ himself. The Bible tells us that the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me concerning Jesus Christ. We have, because of our sin, we are a reproach against God. Our sin has made us a reproach against God. And Romans 15, 3 tells us, speaking of Jesus Christ, the reproaches of those who have reproached you have fell upon me. Our reproaches have come upon Jesus Christ upon the cross. And it is Jesus who has taken away the reproach of our sin through his work upon the cross. So the Christ child, We've had one angelic birth announcement. Zacharias, you and Elizabeth, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. Now he comes six months later, picking up in verses 26 through 38. We pick up again in verse 26, down through verse 28. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So six months later, Gabriel's on the move again. He's sent by God to go to Nazareth, there in the Galilee to a virgin named Mary, who was betrothed to Joseph, who we learned last week through the genealogy of Jesus Christ that both were descendants of David, but from two different lines of David. Mary came through the uh, line of David's son, Nathan, and then Joseph coming through the line of David's son, Solomon. But we learned last week that one of Solomon or David's descendants, Jeconiah, was cut off before the Lord. None, no son of Jeconiah would sit on the throne of David. So Joseph, who was the stepfather of Jesus, though of the Davidic line, an heir to the throne, God had said no more. And Jesus coming through 
the line of David through Nathan is a rightful heir to the throne, but also the bloodline to sit on the throne. He said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. You are blessed among women. Now, it's a mistake. I believe it's a mistake to elevate Mary beyond what we find in Scripture. True. She was to rejoice. She was chosen. She was the only woman in all history of the whole earth that had been given this privilege to bear the Christ child. So therefore, she is highly favored and blessed among women. She is one of a kind. But Mary should be revered, honored for her role, but never be worshipped. And that's been a mistake within the church. There are parts of the church, and we'll look at this again in a moment, that revere her to such a state of worship, and then that's a mistake. But to revere, absolutely. To honor, absolutely. For her role that she had, In verses 29 through 33, as we continue, when she saw him, she was troubled, saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So the promised Messiah was to be Mary's son. She was to call his name Jesus, or in the Hebrew language, it would be Joshua. Jehovah is salvation. He would be the son of the highest. He would be great. He would have the throne of his father, David. He would reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom of his kingdom. There would be no end. So a descendant, the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, 16 says, God speaking to David through the prophet Nathan said, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And Isaiah 9, 7, And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Oh, how we need judges who would rule with judgment and justice and peace today. So Mary questioned. This is different than Zacharias saying, how in the world can this happen? I'm old. Elizabeth is old. This is different. Mary wasn't doubting in unbelief. She was wondering, I'm a virgin. How can this be? Mary said in verse 34, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel responded, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. G. Campbell Morgan wrote concerning this. With fine delicacy of touch, Luke declared that in the mystery of the conception of this new man, there was a process by which he was sinlessly conceived. That which is to be born is to be called holy in the mystery of the divine activity, if overshadowing of the virgin. She was cleansed from all sin so that the man who appears before us is immaculately, immaculately, can't say that fast, I can't, you can. Therefore, he is a sinless man. And then he gave a proof. In verse 36 and 37, he says, Indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, is also conceived, a son in her old age. And now it is the sixth month for her who is called barren, for with God nothing is impossible. So Gabriel explained to Mary, how can this be? Well, let me tell you. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High. So that which is birthed from you will be the Son of God. 
and he told of another miracle pregnancy of that of Elizabeth. She who was thought to have been barren now in her sixth month of pregnancy, saying, with God, nothing is impossible. God said this to Abraham in Genesis 18, 14. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. With God, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Jeremiah proclaimed this about God in Jeremiah 32:17, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and your outstretched arm, there is nothing too hard for you. And Jesus declared this regarding our salvation in Matthew 19:26, Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for God. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're sitting in this church, if you're listening on the radio today, if you are listening through our social media or some other time and you think there's no way that God could save me, I've done too many bad things. There's no way. Just know this, that with God, nothing is impossible. And also consider this. When I read these words this morning, and I went through this study beginning Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, took a day off on Saturday and back at it on Sunday morning. But verse 38, Mary's response, behold, the maidservant of the Lord let it be to me according to your will. And that phrase, let it be to me according to your will. That's a prayer that we should all be able to say. Lord, let it be to me according to your will. And the angel of the Lord departed. That is all that God is waiting for us to have full surrender to him. Let it be to me according to your will, Lord. And the Lord will say, all right, Gabriel, you can get out. Your job's done. All he looks for is surrendered lives to follow him. Like Mary, we each have distinct roles to fulfill in God's kingdom. The important thing is to surrender to God's will for our lives. So Mary went to visit Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, it tells us, verse 39, she arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. So she left Nazareth traveled southeast, but she wouldn't travel southeast in their days. And we'll learn about this as we go through the Gospels. Between Nazareth and Judea was the area of the Samaritans. And by this time, the Jews and the Samaritans, they were having some issues. Samaritans were half-breeds, according to the Jews. They were half-Jewish and from some other nations, so they were considered half-breeds. Uh, they worshiped God, but not in the ways according to the word of God. So they blended the occult worship with the laws of Moses and kind of meshed it together. The woman at the well was a Samaritan woman. And she said, our fathers say that we should worship God on this mountain. And you Jews say that you should worship him on this mountain. And so there was a difference. But by this time, the Samaritans and the Jews were warring against each other. Pontius Pilate, who is mentioned in chapter 3, he would take the blood of the Samaritans. He was so fed up with the back and forth between the Jews and the Samaritans. He would take the blood of the Samaritans. He would cause the soldiers to go forth and he would cast their blood upon the altar of the temple. There were some bad feelings going on. So Mary would never go through the Samaritan village. The customary good Jew would travel from Nazareth directly east, cross over the Jordan River, follow the Jordan River south until you come to Jericho, cross back over the Jordan River, and then take the journey up to Jerusalem, the hill country of Judea. Jerusalem was in Judea. So somewhere in that area she would travel, probably about 150 miles uh, Today, you could drive there in 90 miles within two hours. But even today's routes, I, I looked on MapQuest, 
over today, they don't follow the customary Jewish route. That's way too out of the way. Even today, they don't follow that same route. Now, when we were in Israel and um, they talked about the road to Damascus, the tour guy said that this is probably the road that Paul walked on because there's mountains everywhere around here and there's only one route that goes to Damascus from here. So this road is the road. They may have changed a little bit, but it was the customary road of travel. But even today, they look at the logic saying that, man, why go 150 miles when you can do it in 90 miles? Why take three hours when you can do it in two hours? By car, not by walking or donkey ride, how they may have traveled back then. So she made the long trip. And when she entered the house, verses 40 and 41, the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. It happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. This is something that just spoke to me this week as well. Uh, a little later we'll learn next week that Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit and how wonderful it is to see an entire family filled with the Spirit of God how we could pray for our family, that they would be filled with the Spirit of God. So when she heard the voice of Mary, little John in the womb leaped. Oh, the baby's kicking. No, he's jumping for joy. It's a different leap. The Spirit was so strong in baby John that it overflowed into mom Elizabeth. But for Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist, they fit more with the Old Testament saints. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit filled a select few. And the Spirit of God would come on certain individuals for certain tasks that he would require of them. It could be a prophet, a judge, both male and female, prophets, both male and female as well, priests, only males, kings, only males, or a common person, male or female again. But the Spirit normally came upon individuals for specific roles that God called them to. Here, Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit of God to really confirm that the Christ child, blessed are you among women. She was confirming to Mary through the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Mary didn't even have to say, Elizabeth, the Messiah is in my womb. All she said was, hi. And Elizabeth said, Mary, the Messiah is in your womb. Well, how would she know this? Blessed are you among women to be well spoke of, to praise. This was first spoken of Mary and then of Jesus. And Mary was blessed because of her privilege to give birth to the Christ child and Jesus he is blessed because he is the Messiah, the eternally blessed of God, according to Romans 9, verse 5. But here we find verses 43 through 45. But why is this greeting to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as I heard your voice, the voice of your greeting sound in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed for there will be the fulfillment of those things which were told of her of the Lord. So she had a word of knowledge suddenly. How does she have the word of knowledge? Well, the Lord Jesus said that when we're filled by the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, he will teach you all things. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She had a word of knowledge. Mary didn't even have to share the angelic vision with Elizabeth Elizabeth already began to tell Mary, and it's amazing. Maybe you've had it happen before. That someone will speak a word of knowledge concerning you where things that you've been thinking about and haven't shared with anyone. And suddenly they're speaking a word of knowledge about the things you've been thinking about that the Lord has been challenging you about. And suddenly they're speaking a word over you. My sister Janice speaks of this, and I wish I could remember it. But my mom had an uncle named Cletus, who was a missionary in Alaska. 
when my dad passed away, Uncle Cletus came to the funeral and and it really changed my perception of funerals in a lot of ways. And I, I was a young man, I was 28 years old when my dad passed away, but um, I always thought meals after a funeral were kind of weird. That was just me personally. Why eat and have lunch after your dad died? That's what I was thinking. But I was so blessed to sit down and share a meal with my uncle Cletus, my great uncle Cletus, whom I'd never met before, but I knew he was a missionary in Alaska and now he was retired and he was living in Illinois. I don't know why he was living in Illinois. We're from Illinois. That's why he was living here. But I was blessed just to have lunch with him. And I was asking him question after question. He was a missionary. I didn't know what God was going to plan to do with me. But my sister Janice said when he got up to leave, he turned to me and said, God has a great plan for your life. Now, my sister Janice would tell this saying, my brother, you're talking about my brother? (laughs) So Uncle Cletus had a word of knowledge, and I was at an in-between stage. I played 10 years in a Christian band. I was no longer in that band at that time. Prior to my dad passing away, his church that he had pastored before, he only died when he was 56, they called him to return to the church. And he said to them, he called me up and told me this. They asked me to come back to the church. I told them, I will only come back if Johnny comes with me. By the way, I'm Johnny. Um, To my parents and sisters. And he called me up and said, I told them, I'll only come back if you come with me. I said, absolutely. But he would pass away within three months. That never happened. But the Lord was beginning I was looking for someone to train me into ministry. I knew God was working in my heart. I hadn't worked out the details yet. I hadn't been called yet. I was in the, Lord, where would you have me be stage in my life? And my Uncle Cletus, apparently, according to my sister Janice, who was amazed at this spoken word, spoke a word over my life. And Elizabeth spoke a word over Mary's life. She didn't have to tell her. She said, indeed, verse 44, I'll read it again. As soon as I heard your voice, your greeting sounded in my ears. The babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. And here we learn that Mary believed. She may have traveled to visit Elizabeth to actually see if she was six months pregnant. But she had already believed what the angel had spoken to her. Blessed is she who has believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were spoken or told her from the Lord. Also, Elizabeth testified that her child leaped in the womb, which is confirmation of Luke 1.15, where the angel Gabriel said, even from his mother's womb, he would be filled with the Spirit. But also this emphasized to me, it should to all the church, that God values life in the womb. And this is something that David understood when recounting his formation in his mother's womb. In Psalm 139, 13 and 14, he said, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Blessed is she who believes. Mary, having seen the angel Gabriel, spoke a word over her. She may have wondered, how can this be since I am a virgin and have not known a man? The angel Gabriel explains to her, the power of the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. You shall be with child and that child shall be the son of God. And she believed. Remember her response. And how great that response is should be our response always. Let it be to me according to your word. And today the Holy Spirit, we need to know that the Holy Spirit fills the lives of those who place their trust in Jesus Christ. And we close out Mary's Magnificat, her song. And we're going to close out with this song reading from verses 46 through 56. And Mary's song reveals... And I want us to understand this. Mary's song reveals her need for a Savior. And it begins in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. 
magnifies. It is a word that means to enlarge, to glorify, to magnify, to make great. And Mary magnifies the Lord through the Holy Spirit of God that is upon her. Yes, and the power of the highest overshadowing her, her spirit agreeing with God's spirit. She magnified the Lord. She rejoiced in God, her Savior. And here we see that Mary had a need for the Savior. She is not, as some teach in part of the church, a co-redemptrix. The tricks, it comes from a Latin word that means female redeemer. She is not. And part of the church believes that Mary is co-redemptrix. But she has need of a Savior, as she declared herself. Part of that church that believes that she is a co-redeemer also says that she never had sexual intercourse with Joseph after the birth of Jesus. There were never any other children, even though the Bible talks about Jesus' half-brothers. They would say they were cousins, not brothers. They were brothers, not cousins. But anyways, um, and that she was sinless and that she ascended to heaven. For a moment in time, God worked in Mary's womb that Jesus Christ would be sinlessly conceived. But after that time, Mary and Joseph, it tells us that he did not know her until after the birth of Jesus. So after Jesus' death and resurrection, Mary... We also learned that she was part of the church. Last time she's mentioned in scripture is Acts 1.14. And she is with the church. They are not praying to Mary. Mary is with the church, praying along with the church. Luke 1.42 says that Mary is most blessed among, among women, but that is because she is the mother of the Christ child. But she is not divine, cannot be seen as part of the triunity of the Godhead. She did not redeem us from our sins but also needed redemption of her own sins. The Bible tells us further in 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, there is only one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for our sins. There's only one redeemer, and his name is Jesus. But her song continues, verse 48. For he is regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Yes, that is true. Once again, Mary understood that she is blessed because of the work that God did through her life. God allowed her, unique of all women who have ever been birthed upon this world, there is only one who gave birth to the Christ child. Her name was Mary. Verses 49 and 50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. She declared that it is God who is mighty, God who is capable and powerful, God who did these great things for her, that God, his name is holy. It speaks about God being pure, majestic, uh, speaks about his glory. Mary also proclaimed that God's mercy is upon all those, every generation that fears the Lord. And mercy is part of the characteristics of God. When Moses asked God, what is your name? In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, the Lord passed before Moses. He proclaimed his name before Moses, saying, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Part of the name of God, the declaration of the name of God, mercy is part of his name. Back in Mary's song, verses 51 and 52, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. Mary extols God's work, showing strength with his arm. It speaks about power, scattering the proud in the imagination of their hearts. 
Man, that's a prayer I have for our world today because there are a lot of proud people in leadership today that do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they have some twisted imagination that they think of how this world should go. And I think, Lord, we're to pray for our leaders, but I also know that you can intervene and take them down suddenly. You can change the whole picture. And Lord, we need you to make a change in this world right now. It could be that the Lord is saying, no, I, I'm making a change. I'm preparing this world for the coming of my son. And the world's going to have to go through a few things first. I'm not sure where we're at. My heart's prayer is, Lord, send a revival. And let it begin with me. In Isaiah 52.10, the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations to the ends of the earth. They shall see the salvation of our God. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ will come in power and great glory. And the word of God says that all the earth will see his coming. Again, we pick up in verse 52 and 53. He has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. He had sent the rich away empty. And Mary recognizes God, the eternal judge, that there is in God... Here's in my notes, and man, the left, the radical left, they destroy terminology of words sometimes. So I, I have it in my notes. I have the word equity. And today, they're using the word equity with a different definition behind it. When I use the word equity regarding God today, I'm talking about true justice true equality that can only come from God himself. Luke 14, 11, it says, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God will exalt the lowly. The Bible tells us, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. He will fill the hungry. He will cause the rich to go away empty. 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy he, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his seed forever. At this time, Mary did not know that her son would suffer death upon the cross. Yet she realized that God was at this time working in behalf of the nation of Israel. That God was remembering his mercy that which he had spoken to their forefathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. In Galatians 3.16, it tells us concerning the seed of Abraham. Now Abraham and to his seed were the promises made, but it does not say to seeds as in many, but seed as in one. And Paul writes, who is the Christ? It's all pointing to Jesus Christ. Verse 56, the last verse of our text today. And Mary remained in the house about three months and returned to her house. So Elizabeth was six months pregnant when she arrived or when she got notice. Actually, Gabriel said right now, Elizabeth, your cousin is six months with child. So Mary left, traveled. She's six months plus. She's making her 150 mile journey uh, down to the hill country of Judea. She greets Elizabeth. She stays for three months. She stayed until the birth of John. Sometime after that, she returned back. By the time she makes it back to Nazareth, she will be showing with child. But that is a story for next week. Like Mary, the Magnificent, all souls of every believer should daily magnify the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And may it be that we would just, man, let this be a memory verse for us. This just hit me so strong this morning. Luke 1, 38. Behold, if you're a guy, please read it this way. Behold, the manservant of the Lord. We can switch that part up a little bit. But if you're a gal, keep it in context. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Lord Jesus, let it be to me. Let it be to us 
according to your word this day. The plan that you have been working out for our lives. The things, Lord, that you've been speaking to our heart and perhaps you haven't even shared with others yet. But you're working out something, Lord. I pray, Lord, if there needs to be a confirmation that comes from someone else through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, speaking a word over another individual, Lord, empower us to be sensitive to your Spirit's guidance and direction. For those of us who are in that time of waiting and in between and we've prayed about something and we thought, Lord, have you said no? And we understand perhaps, Lord, you just simply said wait. Help us to be patient as we wait. And Lord, we pray for the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Lord, for the heart of Mary who said, let it be to me according to your word. Let that be our prayer this day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As Dave comes to lead us in one last song, as we stand together in this last song of worship, I'll be down front. If anyone would like to come up for prayer, I'll be here for the prayer needs that you may have. Also, just to remind you, we do have benches up front in the front rows. There's prayer benches up here. If you'd like to simply come and kneel and pray, and maybe that prayer is simply, Lord, let it be to me according to your word whatever that word might be for you. Maybe today is a day of surrender. Is God calling us to surrender today? I pray that he is. Let's worship.